When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Girl CEO Podcast, the playground for female entrepreneurs. My name is Ronnie Brown, and I'm the author of Amazon's best-selling book, From Mopping Floors to Making Millions, and was once a teen mom turned millionaire business mentor. I created my Girl CEO community for women like you. Girl CEO, you are a trailblazer, a creative, an innovator, a boss, and a woman who knows that she deserves more. Join me each week while we uncover what it truly takes to be your own boss and become a successful girl CEO. And don't worry, sis, I got you. All right. Hey, guys, welcome to the Girl CEO Podcast. I'm Ronnie Brown, and today I'm super excited to have this guest with us, Savitra. I finally have you here. So excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. You know what? I've been watching you, and I just love the value that you always add to your community. So before we get started, can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Yes. So I would definitely consider myself a serial entrepreneur. Started my first company in 2009. So I was a decade ago at this point. And we were really heavily focused managing strategic communications, you know, public relations, advertising as a true agency setup. From there, I was inspired to get into the tech world. And from that bridged off my second company, Resilia. And we're a SaaS platform that essentially services a double-sided market. So we sell software to existing nonprofits on one end and on the other end, enterprises, which is basically like cities, private foundations, corporations, anyone that gives out money. So yeah, I have definitely been across the gambit of businesses, starting from professional services, true consultancy agency, to now in tech. So my entrepreneurial lifespan has definitely felt like a very long time and an eternity of working and hustling and making it happen. Yeah, but you know what? It is definitely paying off because I've heard nothing but just positive things about you and your work ethic to the point that, you know, people are saying that you are the queen of raising money. How did you get that name? Tell me a little bit about that. So I don't know if I'm the queen of raising money, but I have been successful in raising money. And it's interesting because in my first business, I didn't raise any capital and I just bootstrap it like the majority of us do when we're trying to grow and build something and cater or deliver service to customers. But what I realized with my second company is that software is expensive. Like building software and tech is very expensive and you kind of have to build ahead of your revenue. And so in doing that, I was taking my own money that I had made for my first business and just like sinking it into the second company. And after being almost seven figures in, I was like, I can't, it's not sustainable. This is not sustainable that I continue to do this. And so I knew that I needed to access venture capital from investors in order to keep the business going and then to scale the business. 
business up. And so I went down this very long daunting path of raising capital and have been successful to date in doing that, but it's definitely been a journey. That's for sure. Love it. And from my understanding for one of your companies, what was the most that you've ever raised? So for Resilia, we've raised $11 million to date. Yeah. And so that's over three rounds. Our first was like just an angel syndicate of 400,000. Then we raised about 2 million for our seed round. And then recently we raised a little bit over $8 million for our series A round. Wow. Wow. So let's kind of get into your backstory because, you know, it's not every day that you wake up and you realize that you want to have a tech company and you want to sell software to people. Where did Savitria, where was she when she realized that this is what she wanted to do? So I was working again in an agency setting. So we were doing like marketing, very traditional marketing, right? So we were helping clients, you know, get billboard advertising that they were law offices. We were helping like run their digital media campaigns. We were helping with their PR. Uh, So very traditional agency setting. But then within that, I started seeing how technology was essentially disrupting our space. And I'm seeing this growing like this ecosystem of tech in the South and the Southeast, which generally had never been there. You know, you hear about Silicon Valley and everybody else. But now I started seeing this movement of tech companies being built in the South, where I was from. And I was like, okay, what is this tech thing? And if it's here to stay, I need to make some moves to acclimate myself so I don't get disrupted or like put out of business by it. And so that was my first entry point into I needed to quickly learn as much as possible in this tech space. And then from there, seeing how I could essentially transform my own services via tech. And let me just kind of go back to that. Like how long were you working at the marketing company before you decided to pivot and go all in for yourself? You know, right now, everyone is just like pivot, pivot. I'm leaving my job, fire your boss, own your time. It's kind of like the whole marketing strategy. I'm a little more conservative with just like up and just leaving stuff without having that cushion. When did you get to that place and how do you feel about that right now? So I'm also conservative from the standpoint of like people just saying, all right, quit your nine to five and just take a leap of faith. I'm like, leap of woo? Do you got bills to pay? Do you got people, you know, family to take care of? Like, what is your situation that you're about to make a big leap without having some type of plans in place or security or whatever? I think that particularly as you get older, you become even more probably conservative when it comes to finances and how you move. But also now I feel like we just have more resources and more information available to us that we don't have to take those big leap of faith, right? To venture off and start our own thing. I mean, I always think about this when I hear conversations of people who've done it, telling other people to do it. I'm like, your boss probably somewhere in the audience thinking like, oh, okay, okay, we're going to see tomorrow if you get this resignation letter. <laughs> if you turn the resignation letter in, tomorrow come and go. And so sometimes people will be talking, but you know, what that really looks like in reality is different. And so when I started Solid Ground, in 2009, we were building and working essentially up until 2016. And that company, Solid Ground, actually still exists. We still operate. I just don't work in the day-to-day of it. And so we launched Resilia to the public in 2016. And then it was really around like 2017 where I was like, all right, if I'm going to be serious about this, if I'm going to really scale this, I have to be fully committed to it. And that's when I hired someone to kind of take over the day-to-day of Solid Ground so I could focus on 
building tech company. Yeah. How important is being able to delegate and hire and outsource to you right now in this season of business versus when you were, you know, starting? And how did you navigate through that process? So I will tell anyone, when they ask what were some of my very early on biggest struggles, hiring, like hiring the right people <laughs> and then being able to delegate and feel like comfortable and trusting that they're going to get it done without you checking in and micromanaging managing them was something that I had to learn like the secret sauce to get right. And even I still get it wrong from time to time, but it's so important. Like when you think about how you're actually going to like grow your company beyond yourself, you have to be able to delegate. You have to be able to find and scale the work around you via other people. And I think, you know, there's like some key things that you can do. You know, for me, I would fall in love with a candidate or somebody I was hiring they would be saying all the right things. I just be there like, yes, yes, this, this is gonna change my life. Like, if I had two weeks later, no, <laughs> like, Mm-mm, this ain't it. <laughs> and so, you know, I started bringing in my like advisors or people who I was close to, be like, hey, can you interview this candidate too, right? Because I need a different perspective. I need like different opinions, and I need for you to ask questions that maybe I didn't ask. And so, I definitely uh, use a lot of different just techniques to try to find the right people nowadays. But admittedly so early on, I kissed a lot of frogs. (laughs) For sure. And, you know, one of the things that I would say is just really being able to get in there um, early on and understand the day-to-day of your business. It is so important. You know, that's something that I learned and I'm so glad that I learned it and I started my business the way I did because people come and go and I just always stress that you have to know how to run the day-to-day of your business versus just bringing experts in early on and you not understanding what's going on because the moment they up and leave, it will be a hot mess. Like 100%. Can't find anything. Don't know where anything is. Don't know how to start that, how to turn that on, how to turn that off. <laughs> that's so true <laughs> it's a whole different ball game and you know right now I think we are in a season where everyone is trying to be an entrepreneur and everyone is like hey I need investors and I want to raise money so I really want to talk to you about this especially because you've raised 11 million dollars which is crazy you know do you feel like there's a certain time when you actually need investors and when you you don't. Yeah, I always tell when people say like more money, more problems. That's what I think about with investment capital. <laughs> I think I translate that to investment capital too, just because, and not necessarily more problems, but you are taking on um, investors in your company who are taking a piece of your company. And so you have to kind of understand like what that means. That means they actually have somewhat of a say so in how you run your business and how your business scales, right? And so I always say not every business has to take in venture capital. Like my first business didn't have to take in venture capital. It's all about what your product is and at what point have you reached a wall where only by means of capital can you continue to scale beyond where you are, right? And so I think there's different type of investment capital. There's definitely, you can be, you know, a restaurant, right? Or you can be starting something that is more like traditional 
professional and you can have investors or people who back your restaurant to get off the ground or your coffee shop. And so you give them dividends or whatever the case may be, if you're paying them or you're taking out loans. And then there's venture capital where you're giving up large stakes in your company. And the thing about raising capital from VC is the expectation is that you're going to continue to raise capital, right? And so I think that people definitely have to just understand like the pros and cons. But as someone who's raised capital, I'm not even like super pro raising capital. Like I always, and me and other of my friends who've raised capital will say bootstrap and get as far as you can without taking on capital. Yeah. And I think right now everyone's just like, hey, I need investors. Hey, I need investors. And they want these investors because I get saying that, you know, they have investors. Maybe it looks like they're successful, but I don't hear a lot of people talking about the flip side, like what is on the other side of having an investor, which is a person having a part ownership of your company, getting a percentage of your income, being able to, you know, make decisions on behalf of your company. Like no one really, you know, talks about that and people also investing with the expectation to make money back over a certain amount of time you know investment money is not just free money right no and the multiple it's a multiple return hello people send you emails at six o'clock at 7 p.m asking for hey can you send me over the latest financial statement and what do you think about this oh i want to introduce you to this person can you jump on a call tomorrow at 9 a.m and so yeah i mean a lot of stuff definitely comes with having investors for sure yeah and let's talk a little bit about how you did it. You know, raising $11 million is not easy. Where did you find these people? What did your day-to-day look like? How are you communicating? Tell me a little bit about that because, you know, I have so many people that's like, oh, I raised this money. And then when I say, well, how did you do it? They say, yeah, I was just networking. I'm like, bullshit. It's <laughs> networking. Like, what did you do? <laughs> so it's definitely like different levels, right? But to your point earlier, about how people hit you up in your inbox or whatever. And you know, I get hit in my inbox. I'm like, look, I got an idea and I don't need to raise some money. I'm like, you got a what? <laughs> you got an idea? You need to raise some money? Not for me. <laughs> like, can you come back with something more tangible? Like, then I got an idea and I need to raise some money. And so most times, from the person who said about your network, think about it as you built a network of people via some experience or some like work environment or some business you create. And it gave you access to people with capital, right? And so I mentioned that I raised capital over three rounds. The first $400,000 that I accessed really was through my network, right? But it goes beyond network for sure. But it was my early on capital was through my network because I had already started a business prior, right? And because I had started a business prior, I had access to communities of other business people. And, you know, I was like on the board of the Chamber of Commerce and I was working with like high wealth individuals in their companies. And so when I went to them with this idea, they're like, you know, I saw you, you built this other business and you've been successful. You probably might be successful again, right? So I'll write you a check for $50,000. You know, I I believe in you. To be true, like, do you just say, hey, I'm starting this other business here and I'm looking for investors, like, can you give me $25,000? Like, what does that conversation look like? Yeah, I mean, it really does look like you looking at your network, right? And saying, okay, is there anyone in my network, one that invests in anything? It's not even tech. This is this is the do you invest in anything <laughs> conversation. <laughs> 
because my early investors was like, they invest in real estate. They dibble dabbled over here. One of my investors owned a construction company, right? And so these super early on investors are just generally like high worth net individuals and they're willing to take a bet on you. And I say that coming from a standpoint of most people like, oh, well, I write the kind of networks. You really do have to get out here and meet people and also trust that the network that you have built would, if you came to them, would be like, let me see how much I can give you. You know, like, okay, I can write you a check for this. I can write you a check for $15,000, $10,000 because I believe in you. And the more you have done in your field, say in business for me, or if you worked inside of a tech company or whatever, the more willing people may be to actually bet on you. Because I didn't come from background, like I had no rich family members. I, you know, I built my network organically and through my work, right? And so people saw what I was bringing to the table already and they were willing to bet on me. Now, the second round, that was a whole, that was different. That wasn't about no network. the round that we want to hear. Yeah, about. that was different. That we was the struggle know, round. You know, when you're in that cold market, when people don't know you, you know, the warm market is easy because you can go over here to one of your successful friends or some people that you may know on Clubhouse or whatever the case may be. And you know that they're successful and they'll give you five or 10 or $15,000. But I'm talking about cold market, don't know you. What does that conversation look like? Or what is that email? Um, how is that yes. email written? Just give us a little bit of that. So I think that the conversion rate on a cold email is like something like 3%. It's like super low. And so I remember one time I saw there was a Black Enterprise Conference happening in San Francisco. This was like their Tech Connect. I don't even think it even happens anymore at this point. The Tech Connect was going on out in San Francisco. And I saw that Frida Kempor was going to be there. And she's like an investor that generally invests in minority founders and particularly Black and Latino founders. And so I literally booked the flight, booked the conference just to go try to meet this woman. And so here I am in the audience, like waiting for her to come on stage. Like, okay, this is my time. And so the Black Tech Connect was super small. And so you think about these large conferences that people try to go to, the ability to access those big, those speakers on those large stages, very hard. But if you go to smaller conferences, when it was a thing to go to conferences, you had more access to speakers. And it's so- Thanks, Savitra. It's still a thing. Yeah, it is. And so she was walking down off the stage. I said, oh, now is my time. The conference kept going. I slid out the back door. I oh, you was one of those. Yes. You pulling up. So you've been pulling up on people. So it's a whole nother level. I'm going to get my money. Okay. So, so I walked up to her. I was like, oh, it's nice to meet you. I already speak. You know, I've been following your work. And she was like, oh, well, it's nice to meet you. I was like, raising capital. She gave me her card. She was like, send me an email. I sent her an email. And that kind of connected me into the ecosystem, right? And then so other people started making intros. And then I started seeing like other founders that had been funded by that fund, started connecting with other founders and other founders started introducing me to like their investors. And so it really began to create just this like domino effect of like meeting more and more investors until you're able to present and pitch to the investor that aligns to what you actually are building and selling. And so, yeah, you definitely have to get a little strategic because you got to think about it. Like these investors are getting pitched to all the time. Another one of my big investors. He came from California as well. And I met him because I did a pitch competition and I'm not even really big. I've only done two pitch competitions in my life just because kind of the whole idea of parading founders on the stage, I'm not really like into it. 
But I actually met one of my investors because he was on a um, call in which I was on a practice call and didn't win a pitch competition, but followed up via email the next day, letting him know, thank you for having me. Thank you for helping me. And he was like, oh, if you ever out of San Francisco, hit me up. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, kind of like, sure. Ended up heading out to San Francisco, hitting him up over lunch. He committed to investing in the company. And so it really is about how you can position yourself to get in front of people to tell the story of your company, to position your company and like tie the narrative into how big you can grow and your team. So once you get in front of the invest, the right investors, then it's on you, right? It's on you to be able to present a very captivating narrative, depending on what stage you are and then sell them on the opportunity of building with you. Yeah, you know, one of the things that you just said that just really stood out to me was telling the story of your company. And, and I don't think that people take storytelling and the brand story that important these days. How important do you feel like that is as far as the actual conversion happening and people actually paying attention to you right now? Is that super important for you to have a story for your brand? It's critical, like critical. And your story and your brand story and narrative and a person like liking it, right? Like truly like buying into it is really what lands you those first investment check. When you may have just a little revenue in the door or pre-revenue, you were so much selling the story and the narrative more than anything that you are the person to build this company. Wow. And one of the last things I want to kind of touch on is what are you think uh, some of the things are that investors are looking at when deciding um, who to invest with? What are some of the key things that you think they're looking for right now? Yeah. And so obviously they're looking for you. They're looking for what product, what market and sector that do you stand in? Like right now, like audio apps is big. We're hearing a lot about like audio apps coming online, but I'm in SaaS. So software as a service, which for me, I'm basically in line with a group of investors, a lot of investors who are saying, hey, we can probably productize some of these niche service lines and deliver it through a software solution. So a service, something that was once a service, now we can deliver it through a software solution. And so they're looking for individuals who have that expertise in order to do that. So to execute that in like every type of sector from healthcare to legal, you name it. And so beyond that, people are looking at your team. Um, what is your total addressable market? size, like how big can you really get if you, if they were to invest $5 million or $10 million in your company? And then also your ability to track talent and to like be the founder that scales the company. I think that oftentimes people think like, oh man, they didn't like my idea. They might have not liked your presentation or didn't think that you were the person to do it, right? To grow it or build it. But why is that? There's a lot of variables that come into play with that, particularly for like women and black founders. Sometimes people don't feel like women founders can't, they have, we have too many other obligations, which is crazy, but these are the type of barriers that we face on top of just the basic things that we have to try to raise capital against. Yeah. And right now you're so bold, right? Like you're jumping on flights, you've gone to conferences. How did you overcome that fear of rejection? So 
being rejected is probably, particularly for someone who is an entrepreneur, is definitely a very humbling experience. And when you present it with something where you're presenting something and you've already built a business, like being rejected is humbling. I don't care who you are. And then you have to have an appetite to constantly receive no's as well. But one thing that I learned is that you really have to figure out like how are you able to still navigate and not let it jade you? Because I feel particularly for us, we can't let the process like jade us. But I'm always back in my head like, mm, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you, right? So I'm back in my head. Okay. I'm going to show you. You know, I can, I can show you better than I can tell you. So just got to stay like vigilant and keep moving forward and just take the no's as they come because it happens to like everybody, right? So just like, okay, when it comes to no's, nothing special about you. <laughs> everybody receives them. And you're in such a male-dominated lane. You know, how have you been able to continue to grow with also, you know, just maintaining your integrity and taking a stand and speaking up in the industry? Right now, we're seeing women who are going after their dreams, being called things like too tough or too dominant, you know, or not feminine enough. You know, mm-hmm. it's all these different standards. How have you been able to just maintain your integrity, but also stay true to who you are as you mm-hmm. are continuing to grow your businesses? So I think the best way to do it is to show up as yourself on day one so that people know what they're signing up for. Um, because I think oftentimes people try to like wear masks or they try to like put on or they try to not talk about certain topics or subjects and then something may happen like 2020 and then they feel like, oh, I have to speak to this, but what will my investors say or what who this person say? And so one thing that I have always tried to do is like show up as myself from day one so there won't be any surprises <laughs> when you see me address something or you see me call something out. And, you know, I feel like I'm already am like an alpha female. So <laughs> my own personality is very much so like, what you say? Like, what? I will not be denied. <laughs> and how is that? Let's have a girl moment, a little girl to Pablo moment. How has that impacted like dating and finding love, being such a successful woman and people like, oh, she raised $11 million. Do you feel like it's been intimidating or as far as being a woman in love and relationships? Yes. Oh my gosh. It's definitely intimidating. I think that like for my personal life, et cetera, I keep it like so most like underneath the radar. And so when I meet someone, they see what they see, right? On social media. But then when they meet me in real life, they be like, oh, you you like this for real. Like you're not playing. <laughs> oh, and so it, it adds intensity to the relationship because you come to the table with so much already right and so I think it can I've seen like in some passages where it can almost feel like we're not in competition like you can chill out you don't have to compete against me but I think that that's where you have like just male ego and so I definitely have been one to try to feel like "Mm, how do you balance that maybe you could give me some suggestions of how you balance I think you don't. I think that if you be yourself, eventually they just go away if they can't handle it. And if they can handle it and they can go with you, you know, for the ride, they'll stick around. And that's just what it is. Cause you know, we can't continue to dim our light to try to make people feel better. So I just feel like, Hey, you know, eventually if, if this is a ride that you're supposed to be on, you'll be able to sit in a seat right here and we'll be able to go on this ride. But if it's too much for you, eventually we're going to pull over to a pit stop. You're going 
gonna crack the door and you're gonna run. You know what I'm Absolutely. saying? Absolutely. <laughs> like, look, you had to boss up. You had to box yeah. up and go ahead somewhere. Yes, 100%. And I think that's always tied because I don't have any children either, right? And so like that adds like another layer to the conversation. So it's a lot. It's always a lot. <laughs> so two things that, you know, women millionaires look for in relationships, what would those two things be? Someone who is understanding and someone who is definitely ready to like build a partnership, right? So like someone that's a team player for sure. Got it. And one question that I, we're going to start asking like every successful woman, how do you feel about dating a man who makes less money than you? At this point, I've kind of chalked it up to be like, it is what it is. (laughs) Like it's going to be what it is, particularly as I continue to like climb and grow, right? And so that's always like the hard part because you don't see yourself slowing down. So it's like, okay, I'm going to continue to build and grow. And then you meet someone that may, that just not be their trajectory, right? And so I've dated people who are more like in the public sector, right? So they might be working at a school or they might be working in the city. And so it goes back to not feeling inadequate, not feeling like, you know, you're trying to compete with me and all this other stuff. If you can add, just bring some value. Just bring, make my life easy, (laughs) not harder. And I think that's what people get it confused. They think that if someone makes a certain amount of money, then, you know, they're looking at you as a person who's beneath them. For me personally, I feel like everyone has the ability to add value in some shape, form, or fashion. And if the value is being added, then that's all that matters. So I love your perspective on that. Is there anything that you would say to someone that is out there right now attempting to enter the tech field and they are starting their next idea? You know, what area would you say that they need to be looking into right now in 2021? So I don't know if there's a particular area because I think everything is what you make it. And some of the best companies have yet to even be discovered yet, right? Or even we haven't even tapped into some of the biggest ideas that are yet to come. But the first thing is you need to figure out, do you have a customer base? Like, do you have like an audience and go do discovery around those individuals and see how they receive what it is that you were trying to build. I think early on, you know, sometimes we try to go ahead and like build it, right? We try to like go build a thing. This idea, like we build it, they will come. Actually, we should go try to talk to the individuals and speak to our audience and then go build what it is they have given us feedback on. And it's like, no, actually, if you go meet them first and then you build it, then they'll come after you build a relationship with them. So that takes us right into my last and final question. People who are saying social media isn't my thing. I'm not a social media person. Do you feel like social media is a must have right now and that investors are looking at social media influence as a representation of how big your brand can possibly be? So I definitely think it does vary based on sector. So if you're a consumer, right, or if you are a CPG company, if you were selling products, I just, I invested in like a food-based company, beverage company. To have a social media following and brand is only going to heighten the interest of the investor. And it's also going to elevate the valuation of your company of where you start from like day one. And so having that social media presence, actually like building it and nurturing our audience and actually showing up to the table and say, hey, look at the audience I've already created 
it on the back of my uh, brand and product is always going to get you ahead. <laughs> it's always going to get you a step ahead with investors in that space, right? Whereas like for me, I've always like gone back and forth with like social media with from my SGI company versus Resilia, but because we sell enterprise software, a lot of times like our direct customers aren't necessarily on social media, but even given that, it still has helped me, right? It has helped me with exposure by getting, having the ability to get on in front of people in different stages, et cetera. So it can hurt you. That is for sure. It can only help you. And whereas by your strategic, that can help align you to like how you utilize it for yourself and for the benefit of your company. Love it. Love it. And are you big on text marketing right now? If there were two ways that you would definitely say you're communicating with your audience right now, what would it be? So I would say number one is probably my newsletter. That's where I would say I communicate the most with my audience, but I know like text messages is big. I always receive everybody else's, but for me, I would say <clears throat> my newsletter today. Got it. And top two platforms that you're loving right now? So I am like a huge, I love podcasts all around the board. I do like Clubhouse, but I am interested to see like what's going to be the next app, right? Like what's going to be the next thing? Because I see like some people moving in the background. So I'm kind of excited to see, all right, who's going to rival Clubhouse and yeah. do something that brings a whole nother dynamic to it. And what, what other dynamic would you like to see? So interesting enough, I actually feel like Clubhouse is kind of ripping off some people I ideas going back to like people talk about what they're building because oh we're gonna start making it easy for creators to make money and I was like that was definitely fan base that said that first you know <laughs> like that was their whole business model and they were like well she was we lost we just gonna add that here and then also my friend Isa she had squad which is also gonna be an audio-based app and I remember people telling her her idea of just having rooms curated based on people that you knew wasn't going to work. And now they got private rooms on Clubhouse. So I'm like, <laughs> uh, so that's why you got to do you. You have to just do yeah. you. <laughs> I am just so thankful that we were able to just talk to you today. And can you just tell everyone, you know, where to find you at and where to connect with you at? And, you know, if, if they're looking to raise 11 million, where they can come to find the Black woman who's out here raising $11 million <laughs> right now, tell us where they can connect with you. So definitely on my website, just my first and last name, SavitraWilson.com. You can follow me on social media at Savitra Wilson. So my first and last name made very easy, even though my first name isn't easy to spell. That's where you can find me. I also have a book coming out later this spring, which I essentially kind of chronicalized my entire journey in bootstrapping and then like raising capital. What and is so, the name of the book? What's the, you so, didn't so, talk about the book. Yeah, so Resilient. Resilient is the name of the book. And so I really talk about like how I built both my companies into seven figure companies, one with no capital and then the other by raising now over $11 million. So I'm just like, yes, please do. It's, it's available on Amazon now, but it comes out in a few months. Okay. So can they pre-order right now? Can they pre-order? Yes. So you right can now? pre-order on Amazon. Um, really excited about just opportunity for more Black 
female authors getting the opportunity to like publish with major publishing houses. I think that's going to be like a change that we see moving forward and particularly in the area of business, because when you go to a lot of these major publishing houses, it's not a lot of us in business that are on their author's list. It's not very profitable for us either. No, it's Unless not. Yeah. Yes. And self-published my first book, Solid Ground. And I was like, oh, self-publishing, like that's the route to go. And so now pray for me, y'all, in this second adventure with the publishing house. We're going to see how this one goes. <laughs> yeah. I publish with my book too. And, and the next time I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to do this myself because, you know, it's like me doing the work and putting it out there. But, you know, I think we have to kind of find our way as we go. So they can find you on your website. Can you tell us your Instagram one more time? So it's Savitra Wilson. So just at Savitra Wilson, first and last name. All right, guys. So make sure you all go check out Savitra. Make sure you go follow her on Instagram. But most importantly, guys, make sure you go to Amazon and go ahead and pre-order that book right now because we need that book. Okay, Resilience. So we want to get that book and we want to go ahead and pre-order because I'm going to get mine. But it's the wisdom. I'm so proud of you. Let me just say this. To see a sister out here raising $11 million, creating a tech company, creating software, all the amazing things that you're doing, like it's so legendary. So I want to be the first to just give you your flowers while you're here and just say that we see you and you are needed and you are inspiring so many women out here. And thank you for joining us on the Girl CEO podcast. Thank you for having me. And thank you for being an inspiration for all of us because I'm constantly just inspired about how you have maneuvered, how you continue to grow and how you bring along so many people along with you. And that's like really powerful. Thank you so much, guys. So make sure you all go after you listen to this podcast, go over to Savitra's page, show her some love, let her know your aha moments from this podcast. Click that follow button. Don't forget to go get her book. Have a great day, guys. Bye. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.